Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 9. I know you want to go to Mark, but not today. We're going to go to Luke. And uh, the reason we're going to Luke is just a, a little bit of a break in the Mark series. Uh, because this this week is one of the one of the big weeks of the year. There's something really significant that happens on Wednesday. Uh, Mardi Gras is on Tuesday, and that uh, is you know has become this thing of like, hey, let's get a bunch of stuff out of our system because on Wednesday we got to start you know acting right, you know, um, because Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and that's the beginning of the Lenten season. And I don't say that to like endorse Mardi Gras or you know any of that kind of like whole idea of like let's be really bad because we have to be really really good. Uh, but that's that's the timing of everything, and that's where Mardi Gras comes from. And Ash Wednesday uh, is the beginning of the Lent season. We will have an Ash Wednesday service for the first time. Um, I bet you know what the most frequently asked question is so far about the Ash Wednesday service. Are you going to smear ashes on my head? Uh, the answer is no. That's not the plan. Um, we're not planning to, to, to use ashes in that way. Uh, and, um, but we are going to have a worship service, and it will be built around the, the role of ashes and what they, the role that they play in the Bible. It's always associated with death and grief and repentance over sin. And uh, that's what Ash Wednesday is about. It's... it's we, the, the, to take on the mark of the ashes is, is essentially to mark yourself as someone who has brought death into the world. That through our sin, we bring death, death to us, death to others. Um, and so the idea is you go to Ash Wednesday, you go to church in the morning, the, the priest or pastor, whoever, puts ashes on your forehead and you wear that throughout the day as a way to communicate to others and to remind yourself the role that you play in the story. Now, our Ash Wednesday service will be in the evening. And uh, so we miss the point of, of it because we do it at night. And so ashes will play a different role that night. So there will be ashes present. And so when you walk in, you see them. Don't think that I pulled a fast one on you. Um, but uh, it's going to be a really just simple time for us to begin Ash Wednesday. And think, think of it like this. You begin Lent with ashes. You end Lent with resurrection. You go from death to life over the course of Lent. That's, that's what it is about. Lent is it's dark, though. And it's supposed to be dark. That's, that's, that's the point. And it's built around two, really two ideas out of Scripture. The first one is in Luke chapter 9. If you look at verse 51... Speaking of, of Jesus, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay? Very simple. That uh, whenever it was time, it was like the point in his earthly ministry where it was time to make that pilgrimage to Jerusalem for him to die. It says he, he set his face in that direction. It's a lot like the, the priestly blessing that we say about the, the countenance of the Lord and his face shining upon you. There's, a, there's an intentionality, there's a direction, there's a, a, a determination that's there. And so Jesus um, didn't accidentally get arrested in Jerusalem and get killed. He went there on purpose. And so what we do as the church is we set our faces toward Holy Week and toward Easter. Um, 
We start now. We don't wait until that day gets here because it's too important. So part of what we do on Wednesday is we set our faces toward uh, Holy Week and toward um, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, um, Silent Saturday, and Resurrection Sunday. And so um, that's a part of, of where it comes from. The second thing uh, that is associated with is if you were to read in Luke 4, um, before he began his, his earthly ministry, Jesus uh, went to the desert and he fasted and prayed for 40 days. That was a way that he got himself tuned up and ready for the ministry that was ahead. And so Lent is 40 days. It's a 40-day fast, uh, not counting Sundays. And it begins on Wednesday. And so you put those ideas together. Jesus fasted and prayed before this, the long haul of this journey. And then when it got close, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And so we do all those things. So the church all around the world, if we're doing it right, on Wednesday, we're sitting in the ashes of our sin and our death and, and how we have contributed to the story. We're, we're setting our faces toward the resurrection and we're journeying together for 40 days of fasting and prayer and confession and repentance and, and all of these things. We're headed toward the celebration of the resurrection together. Um, the early church would use this as a time to, um, to kind of vet people who wanted to be baptized. And I was like, all right, well, during this season, you join us, you fast and pray, and you do all the things that we're doing uh, throughout the course of Lent, and that will, that will be a way for you to step into the Jesus story, and then we'll baptize you at Easter. That was part of how Lent was used. And so it's this universal, like, capital C church thing, journeying together uh, all, all the way there. And so that's, that's why we do an, an Ash Wednesday service. That's why... We'll do all these various things through Lent. That's why we take it seriously. Um, it's not a. It's not associated with a denomination. Uh, it's not even a. I wouldn't even put it in the category of, of a tradition. It has a. It has a. The purposes of spiritual formation to it. That's that's why we do this. And so in Luke chapter nine, we see really the heartbeat of what Lent is is supposed to help us do. So look at look at. Um, 23, 24, and 25. He said to all, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Think about that, that, last, that last verse. Let me, let me read it again. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Mark, Mark has the same passage. He says forfeits his soul. The idea of gaining, gaining the world. You realize that we, like you and I, especially, especially if you grew up in America, have been conditioned from the the moment we could start to receive communication, we have been conditioned to try to gain the whole world. It's what we're taught to do. It's what every advertisement is targeted at us for that. Um, Every bit of, uh, especially higher education, is geared around this. Uh, The movies that we watch, the books that we read, the magazines that they convince us to buy, 
this, the music that we listen to, it's, it's constantly, constantly telling us, gain the world. And Jesus is calling that into question. It's helpful probably if we think in, in terms of two, two different things. If you think of um, what's temporary versus what is eternal. That will help us understand what Jesus is saying here. What's temporary versus what is eternal. Um, and when you kind of assess your life a little bit, just think to yourself for a second. Don't say it out loud. Uh, what, what do you put more of your energy into? What do you put more of your time into, your money into, your, 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 like your thought equity? What do you put it into? Things that are, that are temporary, things that um, if you were to die right now, things that would just be left here, or into things that will carry on forever. It's not to say that the temporary things are, are, are evil or uh, any, any of that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying, but, but what Jesus is saying is that you really have to be very careful because you're being told all the time that the temporary stuff, that, that's, where you, that's where you sink yourself into. That's, that's what you go for. That's how you determine your worth, really, as a person. And that's how you know if you're, if you're a success or not. And, and that's how you really, that's how you get comfort and security. And that's how you know who you are. And there's just so many lines attached to that. Um, when I talk about the gaining the world, it's very easy to jump into categories like, like career, money, possessions, uh, you know that that kind of stuff. Those are those are the obvious ways that we're trying to gain the whole world, right? But there there are these really subtle ones that work their way in there too, like um, the approval of man. That's a gain the world category, right? Like like the people's perception of you. How we're always like trying to kind of manage that and keep that in control. Is it, isn't that a gain the world kind of thing? We can put a lot of energy into that. We can put a lot of energy into our appearance. A lot of time making sure we look a certain way, that we're presented a certain way, that kind of stuff. Um, certain levels of social acceptance or even some of the life choices that we make. Is it, is it centered around the mission of the kingdom of God or is it centered around how, how can I be comfortable and like how can I live a very like low risk kind of life and kind of how can I kind of have this like dream come true scenario and what do I have to do to get there? That kind of thing. So there's the obvious ones and there's the subtle ones that kind of work their way in. and They're not necessarily inherently evil, right? There's nothing, nothing wrong with uh, being successful at what you do. There's nothing wrong with, you know, all those kind of things I listed. But, but what Jesus is, is telling us is like, hey, you've got to be really careful that that's not taking on a role it's supposed to take, it's not supposed to play, you know. Like, what you do for our living is important. How you steward your money is important. Um, where you live is important. Like, all those, all those things are important. How you raise your kids, all those things are important. But they're not as important as you're being trained to think they are. So, you need to be trained differently, is essentially what's going on. You need to be trained differently how all those things work. That's what he's saying, right? What is it profit you if you get all that stuff, but yet you've ignored the eternal. 
So he's not saying, not saying that, that if you get all that stuff, you will automatically forfeit the eternal. What he is saying, though, is that human nature is to fo- obsess over one and focus on one and to ignore the other. And that's not how God made you to live. It's not. So if you go, that's verse 25, if you go back to verse 24, it says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, for my sake, will save it. What? <laughs> How do you how do you say something by losing it? Well, it, you, it's exactly what Jesus is saying, though. Like, yeah, you like the gaining the world thing that has to be put to death. Like, you have to let go of all that. You have to lose lose that life for my sake. That's what he says. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So you're saying, yeah, I, there's all that game, the world stuff that I'm being trained in and all that. It appeals, it appeals to me big time, you know, that kind of thing. But Jesus is offering me something, something better. Jesus is offering me something that is real, something that lasts forever. Jesus is saying, you don't have to live that way. There's another, there's another option. He's always inviting us in, into this, this new reality that was not available before him, and it's only available through him. Um, but that's what he's saying. What is it? What does it profit you to gain all that and lose what's important? You, you have to be willing to die to all that stuff, and even the parts of you that that long for it, the parts of you that want to make all your decisions based on those things to pursue those things. In America, we we know it. We kind of summarize it as like the American dream. Right? Jesus is not saying, "Hey, all those things are evil." He's saying, I, "Some of those things I have for you and all that, but." But that's you. You need to just pursue me and let let me put the pieces into place. Because what if that's not the what if that's not the career I have for you? What if that's not the the place to live that I have for you? What if that's not the the way I want you to raise your kids? What if that what if I have other things for you than you're being coached up on on this other thing? What if, what if my way is just significantly eternally better, which it is, by the way. And so it's this invitation, and that's where verse 23 makes so much sense. Like when you, he, he says verse 23 first, then he says 24 and 25, it just kind of expands on it. But if you go in, in reverse, you kind of have to understand the other ones too. They kind of deepen this, this idea. Then he gets to so 23, he's like, here's, here's how you do it. Here's, here's how you actually like walk that out. Here's how you gain everything by losing everything. Here's how you make sure that the eternal things are where your energy is going. This is how you do it. Verse 23. If you want to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He basically says, if you really want to know how to do this, then come along. Like, come watch, come watch me do it. Come Come watch me live out this life that you want. Because that's what it is, right? We, we see Jesus live this life, and you're like, I, I, would, I would love to be able to do that. He's like, oh, for real? Come on, I'll show you. I, I'll not only model it for you and train you how to do it, uh, I'll even send the same spirit that's empowering me to do it, I'll give them to you. How about that? 
but it, but it's a formation process, right? Like it's not a, it's not a download. It's not, uh, or it's not religion. Like it's a, let me mold you and shape you into this kind of person. So when he says that anyone who wants to do this can come after me, that's an invitation to be a part of his life in this way. That happens basically when he says, Hey, if you want to live, you need to come and die. That's how it happens. And so we have this, this first death that happens when you come to know Christ as your Lord and your Savior. There's that moment where you cross from death into life, but first you have to die. And, um, and then every day after that, you die like a ton of like little deaths. Right? Where you're saying no to yourself and you're saying yes to him over and over and over again. Death to me, life through you. Over, 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 over. If, if there were an opposite way to state this, so he says, if you want to be like me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. Here's the opposite. Endorse your own self-centeredness. Only obey if it means you'll remain comfortable and follow your own desires. Which sounds so much like the world that we live in, doesn't it? Like, um, I'll, I'll say it again. Um, endorse your self-centeredness. Right? That's, uh, that's everything around us. Only obey if it means you'll remain comfortable. Follow your own desires. That's the theme of like every song and every movie that's come out in the last 50 years, right? Like that, that is the world that we're in and he's inviting you out of that saying that's the way that leads to death. Come to me and die. But then through me, you will live. So, Jesus is offering us uh, this new world, but it's a life of sacrifice. It is a life of suffering. It's not the kind of thing, like, like I remember going to youth camp, uh, and kids camp and stuff, like I was a good Baptist kid, right? And um, we went to all those camps, and I never can remember someone presenting like the gospel of Jesus and saying, hey, by the way, if you come and do this, you have to get rid of, you have to like give up everything in your whole life. I do remember them saying like, go burn all your uh, secular CDs. You remember that? Like go make a bonfire of that. Like it was, they didn't, they didn't say like, hey, this is a call to suffer. This is a call to, to dying to your own self and your own desires and saying yes to what God has for you. They didn't say that. You know why? Because it doesn't sell very well. Right? Like it doesn't, it's it, it's honest. It's true. It's what Jesus said. But it's it, it, not what that's not why you hire a camp preacher, right? It's all like get saved. It's the best life ever. You're gonna love it. It's gonna be amazing. You get to go to heaven. Everyone's like, I'll repeat the prayer, and then like. But the reality is, like, hey, um, Jesus suffered, and he says, once you come be a part of my suffering, I'll show you how. It's terrible, but it's going to be great. Yeah. So, uh, Advent has this tone to it, right? Where you're, you're Jesus. You know, like Jesus came the first time. Jesus is going to come again. There's hope. There's direction. It makes every bit of difference right now. It's all about the future. It's all, it has it has this like energetic momentum to it. Lent starts by putting ashes on your head. Like Lent, 
Lent is it's different. It's because it's a different part of the story that we are celebrating. And it has a trajectory, and it ends at a, at a, a pretty remarkable place, right? Um, so it, it's not that it's all dark and sad and all that, but, but there's a weightiness to it, because the call to discipleship is weighty. And so, Jesus, really, he says, he, he sums all of it up and says, there's really three things you need to do. You deny yourself, you take up your cross every day, and you follow me. So how are we going to like Lent together? Well, we're going to do those things. On your chair when you came in, there was a little pamphlet thing that is uh, your gift, to a free gift. Um, and it has the dates and stuff on the front of the significant things that you can mark your calendar. But if you open it up, and for those of you on the watching by live stream, we're going to email all this stuff out so um, you'll get it digitally as well. What you see is kind of an explanation of Lent. But those three things, we've broken them into specific disciplines of how we're going to journey together. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to join Jesus in this, in, in this stretch of time as we set our faces toward Jerusalem in these ways. Let's, let's look at them. Um, so in verse 23, the first thing that he says to do is to deny yourself. And we are going to deny ourselves through fasting and prayer. Um, fasting is one of the most practical ways that you can practice self-denial. Um, I, I grew up in South Louisiana. A lot of you did too. Um, I grew up as a Baptist. And so to me, my understanding of Lent was from my Catholic friends and all I knew is I have a March birthday is that they most of them couldn't eat birthday cake at my birthday parties uh, because they were they gave up sweets for Lent. That was as much as I knew about Lent growing up. And that's kind of the stigma, right? It's like, what are you giving up? What are you giving up for Lent? Well, it's it's more it's more than that. It's not about what you give up. It's also what do you replace it with? So you're fasting from something. So we need to kind of take that whole, like, I'm giving this up for Lent. Let's, let's put that terminology aside and let's, let's call it what it is. We're fasting during Lent. When Jesus is teaching us about fasting, he doesn't say, if you feel like fasting, here's how you do it. He says, when you fast, like it's a, like it's a given that we're going to do it. Now, the church as a whole has struggled to practice this. You know why? Because it's terrible. Right? It's like, why would I intentionally suffer? Yeah, that's the point. You you put yourself in a position to be uncomfortable. You are breaking the rhythms of your life. See, fasting is about disrupting those those things in our lives that tend to kind of lull us to sleep. Like anybody here addicted to like some sort of like noisemaker sound machine thing when you sleep? If you're not, you will be, because I just got in your head. Uh, like some sort of like thing, anything that's like rhythmic that puts you to sleep, kind of soothes you away. That's because that that's like that's kind of how we work. It's how our brains work. It's how our ears function. It's how it all fits together. That has a way of lulling us to sleep. And a few weeks ago, we talked about a parable that Jesus says uh, about the a master who entrusts his servants with the work while he goes away. Uh, and the fear is that he'll come back and catch them asleep. And so we talked about how like life just kind of lulls us to sleep. 
Well, fasting is about like breaking the rhythm of those things that have lulled you to sleep in various ways. If life and your schedule and stress and money and like just work and kids and like all, all the things that are going on, all these rhythms that are just like steady, 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 eventually you will fall asleep. And so God has given us fasting to, to break that rhythm. It's like, like I, I have a, like one of those sound machine things. And anytime the power goes out, like I sit straight up in the bed, like, why is it so quiet? It's like immediate. That's what fasting does. It's like the alarm clock for all of us saying, hey, if you've fallen asleep in terms of your walk with the Lord, the ministry that he's called you to, whatever it may be, fasting will, will disrupt your body because your body is, will not put up with it. And so here's, so the idea is you're, you're, you withhold from food, you replace it with prayer, and you want to pray differently, sit there while you're hungry and pray. Because you're, you're saying, Lord, I, I wish that I wanted you as much as I want a meal right now. You know? I wish I could, I wish I was as in tune with your leadership as I am in tune with the fact that my body hates me right now. You know? You, you intentionally break that rhythm and it makes you pay attention. And so when you fast on a regular basis, it's, it, it's uh, like when someone is like, oh, I don't really sense the Lord's leadership. Well, you need to fast. That'll wake you up. That'll put you in tune. And it'll change your relationship to whatever, whatever it is that you're fasting from. So if you have an unhealthy relationship with social media, which most do, right? If you fast from social media over Lent, it will change your relationship to social media. It will. Part of why I think why I think Lent is not like three days and more like forty days it changes your relationship. It changes your dependence and your 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 focus and your attention. And so, um, like fasting is a significant part of it. And a part of that is it's just one way where we practice what Jesus says to do here. He says, if you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself. So how about for the next forty days, not counting Sundays, we deny ourselves. And the practical outworkings of that, there's, there's two on, on my list. There may be more on yours. One is, is to just find something in your life. Find something that is a part of your rhythm that you would definitely miss if you cut it out. And cut it out. Simple as that. Replace it with, with Jesus in some, in some capacity. Now, um, if you're fasting social media or TV or like you know, like entertainment that kind of thing, um, you, you're going to have to figure out how to how to sub Jesus into some of those things. But he'll show you. Talk to other people, ask them how they've done it. This is not the kind of like secret fast you're not supposed to tell anyone. Like talk to people about it. But find something from Wednesday all the way through to Easter Sunday that you are cutting out of your life in order to disrupt the rhythms of your life because you you want to desire God, you want to hear God, you want to know Him. The second thing is uh, that most fasts, especially biblical fasts, involve food. They're, they're dietary in some way. Um, and so we are going to ask our, our church to fast on Wednesdays. Uh, the, ideal, the ideal would be to fast at lunch. The idea that everyone in our church is fasting lunch today. And uh, instead of the time that you would have lunch, 
you find some way to get alone with the Lord, and we're going to supply you with something to read that day. Um, and we'll send it out digitally. If you're more of a paper person, we have on the uh, subs down here. There's like a, the one for this week is down here, and they'll be there each week. Um, but to think about the, what, what if our whole church was like taking their lunch break on Wednesdays to not eat, but to sit and to read this same thing and to pray these things that we're all practicing self-denial together. Uh, pretty beautiful, I think. Now that might not work for you, and your like your Wednesday may not allow for that at lunchtime. You may need to do the evening or the morning or something like that. We're not legalists about it. But if Wednesday is our day to fast and to pray as a church from food, and everyone has, is finding their own thing in their lives, we're fasting in some format for the next couple, like next from now to Easter together. Um, I believe that we will see the fruitfulness of that in our in our people. Like I, I think you'll see it in yourself. I think I think you'll see it in others. I think we'll see it in in what happens on Sundays when we're together. Um, God. Uh, he's given us fasting as a gift. Now, self-denial is never going to be fun or feel good. It's always going to seem like something that is like irrational or you know, our logic will always want us to kind of find a way around it. But he's given it to us. And so fasting and prayer is how we'll practice self-denial in the next six weeks. The next thing he says is to take up your cross daily. Okay, now, now this was uh, this is a reference to what literally happened in their day. That whenever a criminal was convicted and sentenced to death, they had to carry the crossbar of their cross through the town. Uh, well, first they would like beat them to a pulp, and then they would make them carry it through the town uh, to be able to show you what happens to criminals in this town. That was that was the point. And so it was a deterrent to crime. Um, and so you had to carry your cross. And so that was associated with suffering. It was associated with, uh, it was basically the worst thing that you could possibly see. And I'm sure at the time, they probably had no idea what was going on, but Jesus is talking about his own cross. But other than him, if you think about it, and you jump into the, the imagery, other than Jesus... Every, uh, only the guilty would carry a cross. So he's looking at you and looking at me and saying, you have to carry your cross every day. Now I think there's a couple of, couple of layers of meaning to that. One for us to grab onto during Lent is the fact that I'm guilty. Right? You're guilty. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. So a part of us carrying our cross is is us per, like communicating to God and to ourselves and to one another that we understand the role that we played in the story. That it was my sin that held him on the cross. Your sin. In fact, going back to Ash Wednesday, the idea that you're you wear the ashes all day long to communicate to others. I'm I'm the problem. I brought death into the world. Um, and so 
by carrying our cross, it, it, a lot of that is like it's like this this realization of our of our sin, like bringing bringing those things out of the shadows of the, of our of our minds and the secret parts of our lives, and, and realizing that Jesus has made it safe to bring those things into the light because He's already paid the price for them. It's not that we have to like He doesn't have to go die again for it, but we bring them into the light and we we carry our cross by by owning up to what we have done. And so the way that we put this into practice is we is two things that go together, confession and repentance. So con- confession is saying, I, 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 did, I did that. These are, these are the, the ways that I have sinned against God and against uh, others. It's, you kind of like, like review your day and um, you own the sins of the day. And you acknowledge that the blood of Jesus has covered those already. You know, it's it's not a it's not a time to heap shame on ourselves. That's not what confession is designed to do. Confession is to bring something to the light and say, look at look at this thing that I did that Jesus died for. Isn't he amazing? Over and over and over again. It's not only confession uh, in th- those senses; it's also confessing to other people. It's walking in an open, authentic way with our communities. I feel like every community group during Lent should have at least at least a moment, maybe more than one, when somebody is like, "Hey, I need to bring you on the loop on something," because I've been practicing self denial, and God's exposed this this thing that I've confessed to Him, and now I need to I need to bring you guys in on this too. Maybe it's your community group. Maybe it's your close group of friends. Maybe it's just the courage to tell one person something you've never told anybody on the planet. Um, but it's not just vertical confession. It's also horizontal confession. But, it, but confession alone is not, is not what we're going for. It's confession uh, that is partnered with repentance. Confession without a desire to change and turn from that, that's just, that's just religion. That's just going through the motions. That's just getting something off your chest. But repentance is saying... I. I, I'm confessing this thing that I'm ready to turn away from. Like I'm ready to change the way that I think about this completely. And so think about it this way. If Ash Wednesday is uh, the beginning of Lent and Resurrection Sunday is the end, it begins with death, it ends with life, um, as you journey toward the cross, you're leaving death further and further behind you. And so as we confess and repent, we're moving away from death and toward life step by step by step by step by step. And so we want that repentance. We want to leave death behind us and walk in the newness and fullness of life that Jesus offers to us. And so we practice those things together. You have confession and repentance partnering together. God's revealing things through the denial of self. We're, we're like bringing it through those, those rhythms. Um, and it, it's not about shame not about any of anything in that category. It's about smoothing out the footholds that the enemy uses to keep you from being obedient, being effective. Think about shame and how like paralyzing that has been to the church because because we're just terrified to confess. And we don't believe that we can actually walk in true repentance like away from that and so we just hide, essentially. 
So Lent is not only a wake-up call by breaking the rhythms and fasting and prayer, it's a calling us out of hiding and into the light that Jesus offers to us. And you don't do it by yourself on an island. You do it as a group together. And as we journey together, uh, the fruitfulness that comes from that, like God has used Lent to purify and bring about true freedom of his people for years and years and years and years. And this can happen any time of year. It's, it's not that these things can't happen all the time, but it's like we just need a jolt sometime. It's like we need a season on the calendar, and you need a preacher who will get up in front of you and say, we're going to do this thing together, and I hope that you come along. And, and, and that's like how the church and churches all over the world have functioned for a long time, and God has been so faithful to use it. And so I want to see it. I want it in my life. I bet you want it in your life. And, and we're going to do this together. So yes, we are going to fast and we're going to pray. We're going to confess, confess and we're going to repent. And a lot of that will happen on Sundays when we're together. Um, I told the first service, I'll tell you too, we're not going to have like open mic confession time if that concerns you. But we're going to have like guided times of prayer and, con- and confession to kind of like, let's, let's like practice this together. If you're hesitant to practice it on your own, let's, let's pray those prayers and think those thoughts and tell God those things. We're going to do that together corporately and hopefully on our own and um, take up our crosses. And the third thing that he says is follow me. And that that's the life of the rabbi. The rabbi would, was essentially someone that a young person wanted to be just like. And so they would go to him and say, can I follow after you? And if the rabbi thought that that young person had what it, like if they have what it takes to become like him, they would say, yeah, come follow after me. A lot of times they would ask him questions, kind of like, kind of test them out a little bit, say, I don't know, I'm going to need to think about this. Sometimes they would tell him no, in which case they had to go back home, go into the family business. So here's Jesus, this famous controversial rabbi who's, says to a crowd and says over the course of time through the scripture says to this crowd, all of you have what it takes to follow me. None of you are being told no and sent back to go like work in the family, family business. All of you have what it takes to be like me. In fact, Jesus told them, you're going to actually do greater things than me. Um, and so he's like, come after me, follow after me, just do what I do. And so those young disciples would leave their homes and they would follow these rabbis around. Whatever the rabbi did, they would do. So if the rabbi was kind, they would be kind. If the, if the rabbi uh, picked fruit off a tree and ate it, they would pick fruit off a tree off and ate it. If, if the rabbi went to the desert and fasted and prayed for 40 days, they would go to the desert, fast and pray for 40 days. If the rabbi set his face toward Jerusalem, the disciples Set their faces toward Jerusalem. That's how it works. And he's saying, just come and be like me. Now, he's the master of self-denial. So we're going to imitate him and transform by imitating him in that way. Um, confession, he, ne- he never sinned, uh, but he's led people in confession and repentance his, his whole, his whole uh, ministry. And so he knows how to do that. Um, and then all you see on the back of that pamphlet is a reading schedule for the Gospel of John. We could read the whole Gospel of John together. Same passage every day as a church. 
And as we get to things, you know what, you know what we do, do here? We're like, well, man, I, Jesus did this. I can do that. I bet I could try to be like him. I bet he'll help me. You put those three things together, we're denying ourselves, we're dealing with what he exposes through that self-denial, we're confessing it, we're, we're, we're repenting of it, we're trying to walk through our daily lives and just be like him, like do what he would do, all that kind of stuff. If all of us are doing all of those things for 40 days, how can there not be fruit from it? How, how, can, we, how can we be the same on the other end of the journey? There, it, there's no way. So let me let me extend the invitation of Jesus on his behalf, uh, you know, in a weird way. He's saying, come be like me. I'm just letting you know. Jesus says you can come be like him. Deny yourself, take up your cross every day, follow him. In these specific ways, maybe we journey together. Maybe this is a part of our new exodus moving forward. And something that we get to do that's pretty awesome, and then this is my last thing I have to say. When, when Jesus invites uh, into his life, he's not only inviting us into his resurrection, but also into his death. And when you read Paul and Peter and John, Throughout the New Testament, they all reference in different ways this idea of being able to share in his sufferings. That to be like the rabbi is to suffer. And Lent has a way of us uh, not running away from suffering and not trying to gain the whole world, which is really about trying to avoid pain and being uncomfortable and that kind of stuff. Instead of running away from it, we run into it. And we run into the desert with our rabbi. And so Lent is really, it's 40 days where we as a church are going to sit with Jesus in the desert. And we're going to learn from him. We're going to journey with him. And I, I, I hope that you'll be a part of it. You don't have to be a member of this church to be a part of it. This is a universal church thing that is happening. These are just some details about how we're going to do it. But if believers all around the world will really shift into this gear and let God use it, um, the world will keep changing in the way that we want to see it change. It really will. So I hope this hope this is settled in a good place, and maybe maybe there's some vision for what the next couple of weeks will look like. Um, so uh, we're going to sing it out a little bit. Because uh, if you're like me, there's some things that you probably want to tell Jesus. And so you're welcome to pray during this time. You're welcome to sing if these are songs that you want to sing. Uh, but before we, um, before we dismiss and we go, like make sure all our houses are wrapped up good and all that kind of stuff, before we like shift our attention away, let's just be here in this room for a few more minutes. Okay, Let me pray for us. And then uh, we'll sing together. Lord God, I'm so grateful even just to think about Jesus sitting in the desert hungry and tired and uh, 
from a human perspective, very weak. But spiritually, he was incredibly strong. I think about the, the devil trying to come at him and offer him shortcuts and worldly pleasures and trying to mess with his identity. And there's just all those things that, things that didn't work on him, but man, they work on us so much of the time. And so Jesus, we need you to teach us. We need to sit in the desert with you and learn. It's pretty clear that we don't, we don't know how to do this on our own. Apart from you, we can't do anything. But from you, we can do anything. So help us, even in these moments, as we, as we hear that call to discipleship, that invitation that you extend to all of us. We want to say yes, yes to that. We want to join you in your practices. We want to join you in your disciplines. We want to, we want to know what it's like to not have to try and gain the whole world. We want to lose our lives for your sake. I ask you if you would help us. We love you very much. We thank you. We pray these things in your name.